Do you want to hear about something that is so unique for two-year colleges? Did you know that Unmuddle created a national marketplace for community colleges? That's right. For more details, go to unmuddle.com slash colleges. That's U-N-M-U-D-L dot com slash colleges. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Ed Up Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Here with another great episode with a university president who I'll bring into this conversation in a minute. Um, I am again by myself. I'm going to have to give my co-host Elizabeth Live a lots and lots of uh, a hard time when she comes back on, and she's been uh, indisposed with certain work projects and and some personal items and so on. But I'm going to give her a hard time when she comes back because you know when she leaves me all by myself, uh, I have nobody to make fun of. Let's just put it that way. I've got nobody to make fun of, so I end up making fun of myself, which of course I only go so far. One thing you can do, though, um, and one thing I'm going to ask you to do as our listeners is to take five minutes, if you would, and please, please, please head to Apple Podcasts, give us a rating, give us a review, tell us what you think of the EdUp experience. As you know, we were just uh, picked up in Podcast Magazine and given four out of five mics for our quality our uh, content and our frequency. So we want to keep that up, uh, but we need your help. So give us a review, give us a rating, and that helps our podcast get found and, uh, and helps other people experience it. And again, thank you for listening. Um, this is always an amazing uh, time for me to interview uh, uh, university presidents that are really at the front end of innovation and what's going on in higher ed today. And I've got one with me. Uh, specifically, um, I reached out to... Um, uh, and, and Elvin, our producer, we said, you know what, we don't have enough uh, a Latin presidents uh, and representation on this podcast. We were just, we, we had some uh, Latin folks at the beginning, and then all of a sudden it, it, we kind of, uh, it went away and we, we reached out to one of our old um, episode contacts, uh, Dr. Millie Garcia, and we said, Millie, you know a lot of Latin presidents. I know you know them. And she gave us a long list of amazing people to contact among them, this gentleman, Dr. Jose Luis Cruz Rafera. He is president of Northern Arizona University, and he is with us right now. Jose Luis, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. You know, let me ask you this first, uh, Jose Luis. Uh, why are there not more Latin presidents in higher education? I guess I'll ask it flatly like that. Is that too hard of a question to start out with on a podcast episode? Should I start out with an easier one? No, Maybe to warm you up? It's a fair question, and I think it speaks to uh, the inequities that we see in, in education in general across um, the nation. So if you think uh, backwards as to how it is that someone can become uh, a Latino president in a major public or private university in the U.S., you have to look at the entire educational pipeline. And unfortunately, to this day, we continue to cluster our low-income students and our students of color um, in schools, K-12 schools, where we teach less, expect less, um, invest less, and assign them our least qualified teachers. And so clearly that will lead uh, to uh, some gaps in terms of uh, the demographics um, that actually do graduate from high school, aspire to a college education, and then are successful in, in getting admitted into an undergrad degree, and then uh, facing similar equity challenges along the way you have a smaller number that then is um, positioned to pursue graduate studies. And from those, then you have a smaller number that is actually inclined to 
move into academia as a career and go through the, um, if you are on the academic side, the uh, tenure and promotion process successfully, um, somehow find an avenue to enter into the administrative stream and then make it uh, through the various hurdles um, before becoming a campus president. And so it is not um, surprising at all. Um, it is a call to action that we need to do better uh, all along the way of our K-20 spectrum. Which is, you know, and the biggest part in there for Latino uh, presidents and, and uh, uh, Latinx students is a huge and fastest growing population of students in the United States is our Latino students. Uh, and, and to have a uh, administrative uh, team and a president that represents those students, especially in Hispanic serving institutions, is a really critical piece of what our educational system is going to be about and needs to be about moving forward. So I think that pipeline of creating a Latino presidents is, is an important part for the future of higher ed. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, totally. And I think it, it serves, in my experience, um, now being at my second um, university presidency, not only to really um, help those that are already in higher ed, uh, Latino students and students of color more generally, or, or folks that have similar lived experiences in terms of socioeconomic background, um, it gives them sort of a, an image of uh, what can be accomplished. Um, but it also has sort of this byproduct uh, or, or side effects that are also very valuable, which is that it really helps um, drive aspirations uh, for, for prospective students and, and their families. I found that just the fact that I can speak in Spanish to parents that are considering sending their, their kids to school, parents who perhaps um, are not yet uh, proficient in English, um, that that has a big effect in, in not only their comfort level with sending their kids to college um, and their understanding uh, of, of what that means in terms of their career uh, trajectories, um, but also that, um, in fact, the university um, is well positioned to, to serve them well and that understands their background and understands where they're coming from. Uh, so I think there's um, a lot that can be said about as we see uh, increased numbers of uh, in this case, Latinx students across the United States, um, the value that um, having more Latinos in leadership positions will bring to ensure that that pipeline is solid and that um, the future majority uh, across the nation um, is well positioned to continue to advance the economic development um, of the country. And it's all about the multicultural majority that is continuing to rise and, uh, you know, the adult student uh, is continuing to, to, to rise, uh, especially amidst the coronavirus. And, uh, you know, I, I did a disservice to you at the beginning of this episode. I didn't even ask you about Northern Arizona University. So let me take a step back and say, tell me about Northern Arizona University um, and why. And, and this is the interesting point about you is that you came from uh, the CUNY system, the City University of New York all the way to Arizona for this position at Northern Arizona University as president. Why'd you pick uh, Northern Arizona? That is a great question. Um, you know, I think the, the short answer is that Northern Arizona University right now is really well positioned to serve as a national leader, uh, a model, if you will, in um, delivering on equitable post-secondary value. Um, NAU has a 122 year history in Arizona. It's been around longer than Arizona has actually been a state. 
Um, and throughout that uh, history, it has um, really demonstrated an ability to serve the underserved. Um, we have large populations of Native American students. Um, we have recently been, de been designated as, as a Hispanic serving institution. We serve large proportions of first-gen students, low-income students, underprepared students. We have approximately 21,000 students in a beautiful 740-acre campus in Flagstaff, Arizona, one of the most beautiful places on earth. Um, and then we have about 10,000 students in online and statewide programs across 20 communities in rural areas of Arizona. And so when you look at, at that history and then the current reality, which is that you have a state that's growing dramatically uh, from an economic perspective, but facing um, a skills gap situation whereby it has to import talent to fill these new high paying jobs, it clearly becomes a challenge, an equity challenge of how higher ed institutions like NAU can step it up. We doubled our efforts to ensure that more Arizonans can benefit from the upswing in the economic growth of the state. And so that means um, really being thoughtful about your access mission, um, affordability, and of course, putting in the, the supports in place to ensure that our students can, can succeed. So, you know, the, the, the shift from the City University of New York to NAU puzzles a lot of people, right? Um, mostly because of the demographics um, and, and the geography differences um, and cultural differences between the two universities and the settings in which they operate. But it's the equity angle that really um, runs through both. Uh, the City University of New York, as you know, was established by law. Um, to serve as a vehicle of upward mobility for the historically underserved peoples of New York City. And so it is a university that's very much about expanding opportunity and trying to move more people from uh, you know, low-income uh, students, in this case, uh, to the middle class and beyond. And that's really something where I think in Arizona, um, as one of three universities with two big powerhouses, U of A and ASU, um, that's a lane that NAU can, uh, can own and that we're very hopeful to, to deliver on. So I'm going to need you to tell me the truth now, Jose Luis, did weather have anything to do with the choice? I mean, you know, in New York City, cold. I mean, I, I grew up in Syracuse, New York. I, I know New York weather. It's uh, a little different than uh, the weather in Flagstaff. What did you say? Oh, it's, it is very different. Um, you know, this is just a beautiful high country here. We get all four seasons. It does get cold uh, during the winter. I've, uh, I've already experienced earlier this year some some snowstorms. More recently, we've faced wild um, fires and, and mm -hmm. monsoon rains. Um, so you see everything here in, in Flagstaff. Um, I will say that um, there's a romantic element to the reason why we moved here, which is that my when my wife and I first started going out 17 years ago, we were both faculty members at the University of Puerto Rico. Our, our first travel abroad together was to Sedona and uh, the Grand Canyon and, and Northern Arizona in general. And at that time, we had just been going out a few months. We said to each other, you know, one day we need to live here. Of course, we were maybe thinking retirement, but when this opportunity came along, it, it just felt right. And, and we're just, we've been here now living four months, two months officially as president. That's amazing. And just loving it. 
good story. By the way, shout out to the president of the University of Puerto Rico, Dr. Jorge Jarek. It was our 70th episode that we ever did and a huge university. Puerto Rico is an awesome place and uh, they do great work there as well. I do, I do say that as I look at your background, you do have a tendency to like the warm weather places. It's kind of like you always come back to the warm weather there, Jose Luis. So I yes. wanted to bring that in. Uh, I, you know, you, you bring up a really a good point um, about being in Arizona. All right. So if you look at, let's call them educational hotbeds, Arizona, for whatever reason, is one of those. You know, you you have um, your for-profit universities like the University of Phoenix that started there. You have Grand Canyon University that's there. You have um, uh, Arizona State. You have the University of Arizona who just went out and purchased uh, uh, Ashford University to create an online arm. You know, so you've got some, you know, uh, some competition in the area, in the state of Arizona, um, unlike many other states because of the size and well, depth and breadth of the universities that are there, especially Arizona State and the innovative work that they do. What's what's the market, you know, because their market position, value proposition, um, enrollment are all concerns for college presidents these days. How do you go into this market and say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to, I understand this market. I understand uh, NAU's position in this market. Maybe we have to better position. How do you work through all of that? Knowing that you just got there. What, and were you just there in June of, uh, yes. 2021? Yes. Uh, I'm sorry. June of 2021 is like last month, uh, four, <laughs> four months ago, uh, just earlier this year, uh, obviously still transitioning in the middle of, uh, I'd like to say tail end of coronavirus, but not really. Um, and the, all of the stuff that surrounds that, that transition in itself is hard, but when you transition into a very competitive market, it makes everything harder or, or maybe the op more opportunistic to come in and, and really grab a great university like Northern Arizona and its place in the world. Talk to me about that process of decision-making. And now that you're there, what needs to be done to better boost Northern Arizona University in its standing? Well, two things that, that became very clear to me during the presidential search process, um, which as you know, is kind of a dance between the candidates and, and the, the stakeholders. Is it ever? Uh, in, in terms of trying to learn about each other and, and trying to figure out the fit. Um, and what, what, a couple of things I learned was that, yes, there's a, a very competitive, competitive landscape here in Arizona, but there's also a very entrepreneurially minded, in, my, in the case of, of NAU, board of regents. Um, that uh, is also the, the board that I share with ASU and, and U of A. And so that speaks to the opportunistic um, element that you mentioned a minute ago, which is, yes, there's a lot of competition, there's a lot of uh, complexities, um, but at least there's not a bureaucracy that would limit your ability to really think out of the box and think big um, and try to uh, garner the support uh, the enthusiastic support of your campus stakeholders to move in, in, in a bold direction. And so that was um, very refreshing to me as I thought about, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the, the current moment in time for NAU, the things I think we can and should be doing um, and knowing that we would have some space uh, to innovate and move forward. So that was, that was important. The second thing is that as you're going through the process, you pretty much talk to every single person that has some stake um, in the university and it's past, it's 
And they find you to tell you too. Yes. Um, And so what became evident as I went through all of these conversations was that there was this underlying um, appetite to really position the university um, as a complement to the ASUs of the world and the U of A from the standpoint of of access and serving a broader sector of, of the people of Arizona. So from an educational attainment perspective, Arizona ranks very near the bottom uh, in the United States as to the percentage of adults with uh, a, some form of post-secondary credential. Um, and as I said earlier, there's this uh, uptick in, in economic development, um, which is uh, necessitating importing talent, um, which of course then is to the detriment, detriment of the local Arizonans. And so the question uh, for me, as I was talking to, the, to faculty and donors and community partners was whether or not they had the appetite to really embrace this sector of the population of Arizona that is perhaps not being served well by the many for-profit, nonprofit, and, and the public institutions in the community colleges and public universities in, in the state. And you saw that as an opportunity and you need to, you needed to what, just figure out what the, 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 the appetite was or interest was and going, okay, let's identify this market and let's go serve these people. Exactly. Because, you know, many institutions, particularly institutions with the legacy of of an NAU in terms of, you know, 122 years, um, they're, they're going in a certain direction. Usually it's around increasing academic capital from the perspective of, a reputational capital from the perspective of, um, you know, how selective you are with your admissions, um, how much you're, you're spending in, in research, are you driving towards an R1 status, things like that. And so the question is, is there an appetite to really turn more towards a, um, a more balanced portfolio where you can do some of those things, but you're also very mindful of uh, expanding access and, um, not only worrying about uh, baccalaureate, masters and doctorate degrees, but really paying attention to workforce certificates that could really dramatically change the lives of some of the people in our more rural communities in terms of their ability to enter into this emerging higher paying uh, you know, set of, of jobs. Um, and, and to my surprise, perhaps not to my surprise, to my, to, I was pleased to learn that there is that appetite that folks here really see NAU as having a moral responsibility to assume that task on behalf of the state of Arizona, um, given our historical identity as a teaching, primarily teaching institution um, that is proud of the personalized learning environment that it creates for, for students. And so that really sealed the deal for me because it meant that we could really working together and we still have many conversations on campus, you know, uh, to have uh, before we finalize our plans. But, but I'm very confident we working together, we can start leveraging um, our large footprint across the state, um, strengthening our relationships with community colleges and making sure that um, all Arizonans have a shot to meet their full potential. Hi, I'm Dr. Amy Diaz, Interim President of Gateway Community College in Phoenix, Arizona. Gateway is a proud founding college partner of Unmuddle. We joined Unmuddle to reach a new market of students, the working learners. Unmuddle provides a needed mechanism for these students to work and learn simultaneously, providing a valuable return on their investment. 
Unmetal elevates Gateway's non-credit training opportunities to a national level, scaling in a way that is difficult for individual community colleges to do on their own. Unmuddle also provides a unique opportunity for colleges to feasibility test new potential certificate and degree programs. The higher education landscape is crowded, but the value of community colleges is unmatched. Unmuddle will take us to new heights, and we're excited for the journey. You know, the, the thing I pick out there, uh, Jose Luis, that I think is most important for anybody that's aspiring to be a college president or moving from one institution to another as a college president is, you don't just take a presidency to take a presidency. There has to be a built-in passion piece for this. And if you've spent your your career, which you have, in equity and promoting um, uh, the success of diverse populations and you know, looking at something like CUNY, um, where you came from recently, where that is, you know, that is not only as the mission, it's the everyday, mm-hmm. um, it's the everyday service. And moving to what many would consider a more traditional type university, you, you, you'd have to make sure it's the right fit for you, or mm-hmm. else you're taking a job to take a job and you're not taking something that's going to keep you interested for, for long enough. Uh, I, I think that's really a key, right? Because not every educational institution in our country right now is willing to do the same type of work, right? Serving students from diverse backgrounds, lower economic uh, quartiles, first-generation students, students of color, it's it's hard work because of the there's less advantage. Uh, they come with less advantage sometimes. And, um, and the student services, the wraparound services, all of those things can look different than your, you know, uh, a billion dollar endowed Ivy League university, for example. So you, you've got a fit was important for you, wasn't it? I mean, that was the key. Uh, it, it was very much so. And it was also sort of the the magnitude of the challenge, right? So in, in New York City, you could say I, I the fit was excellent. I mean, I had an opportunity to serve as president of Lehman College in the Bronx. Um, life, uh, one of my life privileges, um, to have done that, then I moved to the central office and served as the university provost for the 25 campuses, serving 500,000 students across the city, um, mostly immigrants, low-income students. Um, as you know, CUNY um, is uh, routinely um, the nation's top engine of upward mobility. So the fit was there, right? And I was happy. Um, and. But the, the, the conditions I, I described earlier about NAU and the potential um, really were um, attractive intellectually and, and just professionally um, because of the magnitude of the challenge, right? It's, it's, it's a different thing to uh, work on equity issues in a city like New York where um, it's pretty much ingrained in, in the DNA than to come to um, Arizona and then uh, sort of realize that while you're doing really well, you're top 10 in the country and graduating Native American students, um, that your graduation rate for Native American students is still 30%. And so, you know, the, the question there then is, if we were able to close the gap between our Native American student graduation rate and our overall graduation rate, what signal does not does that send to the rest of the country? Um, how are we creating a blueprint for other institutions across the country to, to figure out how to better serve this particular population? The same thing with uh, Hispanic students, African-American students, first gen, underprepared, you name it. 
um, the there's it's a very successful university with a long history but when you dig deeper you see that there's so much more that can be done and that by doing it in this environment you're really adding to to the field right um in yeah. terms of best practices and equitable policies and so that challenge was also um something that that was very attractive and then knowing that the people were behind it um, even more so yeah. Well, now this is the point in the episode, Jose Luis, where I talk about what you and I have in common. And, and you don't know any of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how much we have in common. Okay. So I'm a, I'm a half Italian, half Greek. Okay. But when I travel, I double as, um, I double as a, a Latino. And let me tell you how, what, what I mean by that. When I check into the airport, uh, my first name is Joseph, right? So J-O-S-E-P-H. But the, uh, the airline tag cuts off the uh, PH. So when they, I check in my bags, they'll always go, all right, Jose, have a great flight. So mm-hmm. we have kind of the same uh, first name in that, in that way, right? Um, and so that gives a, my family a big kick, get a kick out of that every time they, they call me Jose. So, you know, we've got a similar first name. Jose is Joe, right? In, in uh, Spanish, that's the first thing we have in common. Secondly, you're, uh, you have a PhD in electrical engineering. Yes. Which uh, obviously screams higher education. Um, when you when you think about it, right? And your dissertation was an applications-driven optical interconnect modeling framework for ultra-compact, massively parallel processing systems, which was my original title for my dissertation. So we've got that we've got that in common too. Um, I uh, dream about teaching electrical uh, and computer engineering. You've done that at the University of Puerto Rico. So we have that in common. It's a dream for me and a, a reality for you. Uh, and then, you know, as I look at your background and any, anyway, I'm trying to be funny, but the point is, is you have a very, very impressive background here. Um, like electrical and computer engineering and teaching it. You move on to uh, vice president for academic affairs and provost at California State University Fullerton. I'm skipping over a couple of things that, that you did. You're president of Lehman College in the city uh, in the CUNY system. And then you're executive vice chancellor and university provost for the CUNY system before moving on to president. You have a very, very impressive background in higher education. What do you want to say to the Latin uh, X students out there uh, and leaders? Uh, and what advice would you give them as a Latino who has moved up very well in higher education? What do they need to know? What do they need to do? Um, and what tips can you give uh, the Latino uh, aspiring leaders up there uh, to be more prepared to be higher education well, leaders? Well, thank you. Thank you for the question. And, and I think that the advice- Are you is, impressed with what we have in common too, by the way? I am very Pretty much impressive. So. Yeah, I should, mean, that dissertation title, I, I'll tell you, yes, I feel like you almost, <laughs> you took it from me, I feel like not. Well, maybe I, I owe you a drink then for-, for uh, There you go. There you go. Um, I think the advice I would give is very, very similar to advice I would give to, to any student, um, which is um, you really need to um, believe in yourself, you need to uh, reflect on what it is that you want to accomplish in life. And then I would say you need to uh, consider the fact that higher education is really um, one of those things that nobody can ever take away from you. Um, And so uh, to put in the work, um, to uh, persist, when faced with barriers that uh, may be just or unjust ones uh, that appear in, 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 in your way. Um, and that once you understand what your purpose in life is, then just uh, double down and 
and, and never look back. And uh, in my case, I must say that I was very fortunate to have people all along the way, the educational spectrum that um, believed uh, in me and, and encouraged me to pretty much pursue and, and accept that advice. Um, and once I learned of issues like equity um, in, in, in educational outcomes, uh, early on in my higher ed uh, career, um, I latched onto those and decided that I would make that my, uh, my work in life. And that's why even though my career trajectory seems a little um, disconnected, right? From I, th I thought it to, seemed a little awesome if you ask me. Well, you know, but, but uh, to your point, right? Uh, from, from Puerto Rico to, to Washington, D.C., to Southern California, to the Bronx, to Flagstaff in, you know, in the last 15 years or so. Um, but there's that that through line, right, uh, which is all about equity and and, and advancing uh, the betterment of the communities in which universities reside. And so that would be my advice: just uh, figure out what you want to do with life, consider higher ed as a vehicle to get you there, and persist. You know, you're an awesome uh, awesome guy when. Uh, or maybe you don't know this, but you are an awesome guy. Uh, when you know we go out and we ask for uh, we other we ask other Latino leaders, you know, who do we need to talk to? And Millie Garcia comes back and says, "You, uh, Dr. Felix Matos Rodriguez, uh, uh, Chancellor of the CUNY system, says we need to find Jose Luis Cruz Rivera because he is uh, he is the man." Um, uh, that's got to feel good to know that your your peers in your community, uh, and I, when I say community, I mean the Latino community and the higher ed community literally point you out and say you're the you're leading from the front um doesn't that feel good i mean you don't know that but i'm telling you that both both well, of those folks you. were like we we got to get to you we got to get to you we got to get you on here the work you're doing is incredible well that's i appreciate you sharing that i will say that uh those two colleagues um are, are not just peers and colleagues but they've been mentors and good friends um and and that's as i said earlier um you know two of, of, of those who have um, along my career been there to, to support, um, educate, commiserate, um, and make sure that uh, together we, we get to a better place. All right, so I'm gonna ask you what I, a question, we've asked a lot of college presidents this, but your, your um, perspective on this will be, I think, unique uh, in a number of ways because you've been a faculty uh, in Puerto Rico. You've you've led um, a large uh, state university system, CUNY system, for, as a as a provost, uh, uh, executive vice president, provost, and so on. And then going to a, you know a Northern Arizona University with more traditionalism built in. And one of the themes now is, as you probably well know, especially working in the community college system, is the value of a college degree. Yeah. It's questioned. It's, um, you know, you hear the, hear the term, I, I can't stand the term, but you hear the term unbundling, unbundling higher education. What does that, that mean? I, I, I still to this day don't understand what, what that means. Uh, nobody can really explain it in the way I can understand it anyway. But unbundling the experience, uh, certificates are growing, um, you know, technology companies are, are ripping down the requirements for higher education. Students are much more concerned with an ROI. Um, the, the traditional quote unquote college experience is 
is uh, cloudy right now, what that means given coronavirus and, and all of those things. And so there's just this growing conversation around the value of higher ed and debt and all these things. Uh, you know, it's still statistically uh, has so many benefits, right? And earnings and quality of life and so on. But you've seen it now from the traditional, the non-traditional community college, traditionally, you know, now a, a university out in the West, uh, you've, you've been at uh, Fullerton, Cal State Fullerton. So you've seen it just in a number of systems. What's your take on the value of a college degree in this day and age uh, here in the U.S.? Sure. I think the, the value of a higher education degree sort of a, at an abstract level um, is, is there. It persists. Um, you see it uh, when you do aggregate uh, statistics on, on um, you know, lifetime earnings. You see it when you do aggregate statistics of uh, higher ed graduates in terms of uh, their engagement with their communities, um, their life expectancy, um, their voluntarism, uh, their happiness. I mean, it is clear that there is value to achieving a higher ed degree. What's less clear or perhaps evident is that that value is not um, equitably accessible to different groups of students across the United States. And so if we are to live up to the promise of higher education as serving as a vehicle of upward mobility and uh, a vehicle that would allow each individual to meet their full potential, then we need to be more thoughtful uh, in the way that we as a society invest in our K-12 systems, um, invest in our public higher, ed uh, higher, higher education systems, understanding that it's not only a private good for our students, um, but really a public good in the end. And um, if we were able to do that, um, and if institutions were able to internalize that at the end of the day, it's not necessarily just about advancing their academic disciplines, but also about ensuring that the students get access to that value, uh, we would be in a much better place. Um, and so that means we need to uh, really reconsider um, how we are um, investing in our future. You know, the, the, the real, in my estimation, the real shift in public perceptions around the value of higher ed um, is tied to the increased levels of debt in which yeah, definitely. students incur in, those that graduate and, and even worse, those that don't, that end up with debt and no degree. And that uh, ballooning of uh, student debt um, is in no, spart, no small part due to a lack of revision of uh, the Pell Grant program, uh, maximum Pell Grant award that um, it has not kept up with inflation. Um, when I went to school, I had the Pell Grant program and, and I could pay my tuition and fees and have a little bit left over for room and board and books. That's no longer the case. It's also um, a, a result of underinvestment by states um, in higher institutions, pushing more of the burden uh, of the cost to students and their families, leading then obviously to higher debt levels. And of course, to institutions that have not um, been as successful as we all may hope in uh, not only retaining and graduating students from all walks of life, 
um, in equal ways, right, or similarly equal rates, um, but educating them in a way that is aligned with what the workforce requires so that they can land uh, a good paying job that will provide them family sustaining wages or an education that will prepare them well for future study. Um, graduate school, professional school, etc. So I think all of us that have some connection to higher ed really need to reflect on what is within our control so that we can improve um, on that front and ensure that the value persists uh, for a broader segment of our population. And also, if there's something that is not in our control, what we can do as advocates uh, to get those uh, additional investments in place so that we can give the new generation the same considerations that we, uh, the previous uh, generation received. I wouldn't be where I am today if it wasn't for um, Pell Grant programs, um, scholarships, uh, assistantships, um, and very low cost loans of which I didn't need to take as much money out because the other supports were in place. Yeah, right. It's it's accessibility. We have to work as higher ed administrators and, and advocates to make higher education accessible because it's proven to uh, to, uh, uh, you know, do lots of things like life expectancy increases and uh, and earnings. Now, you can certainly uh, a student can start higher education and not be successful and end up in a lot of debt or they can, you know, purposefully choose very, very expensive programs and put themselves in a position where they're not going to get the return. But there are many universities, community colleges, private universities, public universities that are economically um, uh, affordable and priced right. But you have to do your research and you have to go all in and brand. Oh, I don't know. The, the allure of brand exclusivity may not be uh, all it's cracked up to be when you talk to Ivy's and, and so to speak, if it, you know, because that's what you're really paying for is the brand recognition, not for a better quality education. Um, it's not like uh, um, our accreditors accredit us at different levels. It's you meet the standards and you provide a quality education and you say how you do it. That's that's what education is. And, and, and so it's very it can be a lot of smoke and mirrors for the students, but I think there's pathways for yeah. success there. Um, Jose Luis, we ask our guests the same two questions at the end of every episode. So I'm going to ask you those questions now. And the first being, what did we not talk about about NAU today that you want to say or you plan to say? And I just did a horrible job in not asking you the question. Uh, your chance to plug the university and the great things that you do. And secondly, what is your view on the future of higher education? Well, as to the first question, um, I'm happy to say that uh, NAU is poised um, to develop a strategic roadmap that will look for the university in the next three or, or four years through very intentional actions to be the national leader in delivering equitable post-secondary value to the students we serve and the communities they represent. So um, going straight to that grand challenge that you asked about, you know, the, the questioning of the value of higher ed, um, we're going to tackle that head on um, and, and hope to um, lead the way nationally on, on providing evidence that that value is actually delivered by NAU. Um, as to the future of higher ed, I think that um, it's really interesting, um, you know, the, the fact that we are 18 months into a global pandemic has really shifted uh, the, the design space 
right? Um, from the perspective of, of uh, remote learning versus in-person learning, uh, from the perspective of uh, how uh, the workplace in higher ed institutions is um, designed and, and constructed. Um, so I think it's pretty much a, an, an open field right now uh, for institutions to really figure out what worked well during the 18 months in which they were working mostly remotely and online, uh, how they can build on that, and what uh, of the in-person uh, experience needs to uh, be preserved and enhanced. And so that's part of the work that we will be doing here at MAU. I'm sure other institutions across the country will be doing is really sharpening their focus at what the post-COVID uh, public higher ed institution in the country looks like and how it delivers value to, to the people it serves. Um, so we'll see. I, see, I think that uh, the next year will be fascinating uh, as to how uh, individual institutions uh, reconfigure their work, organize their work, pace it, and how they perhaps uh, merge and consolidate with others um, to be more effective in driving their missions. Well said, my friend. Um, it, it has been such a great conversation. I'm so glad that you were able to come on and talk with me today. I would talk to you all day uh, and, and suck all the uh, information out of your brain because uh, there's go a lot going on in there, Jose Luis. You got, <laughs> you got a lot to do. That's, that's, that's great. That's, uh, it's, it's so needed, right? Uh, and, and I love the focus. I love your background. I love your commitment. It's amazing. Um, and it's been such an honor to talk with you. This has been another episode of the EdUp Experience podcast with your host, that's me, and uh, my guest today, Dr. Jose Luis Cruz Rivera, president of Northern Arizona University. Find him on LinkedIn, guys. Check out his background. It is impressive, to say the least. Jose, thanks for coming. Thank you so much. Muchas gracias. I am Dr. Lorenzo Reyes, Associate Vice President for Workforce Economic and Resource Development at San Juan College. As a founding partner, we value how model can enhance workforce development. Our model brings together community colleges and employer needs to create credentials that lead to jobs with good family sustaining wages. The future of community colleges is about meeting learners where they are through short-term industry-recognized credentials. This can put them on the path to degrees and new careers while directly filling real workforce needs of employers. As on one college, success matters is more than a tagline. It is at the heart of what we do. And our model gives us one more opportunity for our students and our communities to succeed.